0: All of us believe something about the end of the world. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. Eschatology means the study of the end times. I'm really getting nervous here about what are we going to do? We, we, I'm useless. I know how to use a spreadsheet. We dismiss it as someone else's business. He's talking about the tribulation period. All hell is going to break loose on earth. In other words, no matter how bad things are right now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And this podcast is all about eschatology and what people really believe about the end of the world. And I'll be joined by my great friend Pete Milner, who is a master of theology, a great student of history and just a great thinker and all-round good egg. So join me in this exciting adventure. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode in our Eschatology podcast. And once again, I'm joined by Pete Milner. Hi, morning, everyone. I'm sure you're getting to know and love Pete. And um, today we're going to be looking at the subject of Jewish eschatology.
1: Mm, Or Jewish eschatologies.
0: Oh, yes, indeed. And so if we think back to our little recipe, um, our grid for kind of looking at eschatologies we'll say that the one of the ingredients in our recipe was prophets and Mm. i mean the jewish nation and jewish religion have so many prophets don't yeah for sure
1: And, and many different kinds of prophets as well isn't it because you could say that jewishness as a religion in a way invites you to be prophetic and that's where you get kind of traditions like maybe the Wailing Wall and kind of particular attitudes to prayer that are common in many different branches of Judaism where you're actually kind of trying to join in with God's speech in a way. I think most religions have an idea that people can behave like God would behave in this situation. But the speech thing is especially powerful within Judaism. and wow. has a big impact on how Christianity later emerges, I think.
0: Wow. So I was thinking of some of the famous prophets in Judaism or Jewish um, scripture. Mm. We have Isaiah, massive big book. Daniel, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi. Mm. They all write in terms of the end times, don't they? Yes. There are certain themes they talk about. They refer to the day of the Lord Mm. a lot. And... uh, and also true to say that these Old Testament prophets are revered and honoured and studied by Christians, yeah. and also many of them by Muslims as well. And That's so true, yeah. They, the prophetic voice of the Old Testament still is speaking to a, probably a good third of the population of the world at this moment in time, which is incredible, isn't it? That is
1: really incredible.
0: And when you see their
1: lives I think it's really interesting isn't it that they they spoke in a time and a place which obviously is now exists in history but that their words sort of speak of what's to come in such a convincing and and powerful way that we are still affected by them not just in a different place and you know arguably in a different faith but also in a different time you know some of them are 30 centuries ago that they actually lived and walked and wrote and spoke so it's amazing the fact isn't that it? we're still being impacted by them and their voice yeah is amazing i love it's it it's
0: truly incredible and i think for me certainly as a believer I, I when i read these prophets it's it's almost like i'm in the room with the guy mm. kind of reading his thoughts as he's writing the, the page and it's speaking to me mm. it's not just wise sayings is no. it
1: it's it's much more than that
0: yeah, profound. So, um, Pete, just talk a little bit about the what we would call the apocalyptic genre of scripture for a second. All
1: right. So, the earlier prophets that wrote books down. I mean, you've got Moses as the one who mm-hmm. sort of started it all in terms of Jewish or Israelite prophecy. The first ones to kind of write stuff down. We're doing so out of a desire to show God at work, really within history. This is the bottom line. So, um, you know, this king shall attack and get such and such a place. And then you'll know that I'm the Lord. And then, you know, repent because I've seen your evil deeds. And it's time for us to turn the nation back and get on with things. And that's sort of the, the voice of the uh, sort of first voices of so Jewish it's kind prophecy. of
0: like addressing real-time situations, yes. real-time
1: Mostly within the lifetime issues. of the prophet. Right. Yeah, so Isaiah will go out and he'll say, now listen, um, there's a king of Assyria that's coming. He's going to destroy the northern kingdom. But when he gets here, he'll be turned away by God's amazing power. Wow. And then he does, and he is. And mm. off goes the king of Assyria, and he doesn't conquer Jerusalem. He just has to stop and go back because his army will die of a plague. And so Isaiah is right and the prophecy has come true and everyone can see it. And so it's like, wow, well, look at that. Yeah. The apocalyptic thing is the thing Isaiah kind of goes to later in his career, which other prophets in the later traditions also pick up, where you're not really only talking to your own circumstance. You're sort of setting something in motion that kind of sees this peak of, of great, change and and you know to borrow our language from before i think it's true to say that apocalyptic prophecy is that idea of the end of history you know life as we know it is going to come to an end there will be a day there will be a reckoning there will be a you know powerful visitation where all of our old certainties are going to be upended and all of our kind of most deep and personal hopes and dreams are going to be realized in this great and powerful day and there's a lot of, epo- the, it tends to be a sort of early and late thing, but that's not universally true. So the the traditional prophecy of, you know, someone like Elijah or Moses or Isaiah saying, this king is going to go over here and do such and such, and it's not going to rain, and it's just going to do that. That's the earlier kind of things that you see in the Bible. And it develops into this bigger, kind of more global, more cosmic outlook. And when you use the word apocalyptic, you, you mean that it's revealed. It's, it's, right. it's the same sort of root idea as revelation and, and sure. revealing. It's this, this great hidden mystery coming true, and it might be
0: long after I'm gone. Wow. So really interesting. We've got two really important jargon words there. We've got eschatology, which we've been talking about, the mm-hmm. study of the end times, yep. but also apocalyptic or apocalypse which means revelation. Yeah. And so the the four riders of the apocalypse uh, we we kind of have that as a kind of strong image in our minds sure. but the apocalypse just means revelation. It doesn't mean the end of the world although typically it tends to be understood in the context of the end of the world, doesn't yes.
1: it? Yes. And within Jewish thinking, this is a really good distinction to make because the text is the text it says Mm -hmm. what it says you know you you can argue about what is exactly meant but really the text is fixed isn't it yeah what is going to actually happen is the question when we're talking about this kind of thing are we so in the end what is the deal and so Jewish groups from the earliest times up until today and on into the future have disagreed in terms of what is to be expected and the question is are we going to see meteorites, yeah. earthquakes, you know, some human appearing from heaven, you know, the dead being raised up and stuff like that? Is that what we're going to see? Or is it not? Are these just poems and, and right. ideas and, you know, cosmic... Metaphors. Yeah. And so within Judaism, that's very strongly kind of differentiated. And in the in Jesus' time... There were two main groups of authorities within the Jewish faith, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So the Sadducees tended to be um, much more skeptical and general about what the meaning of all this was. They were much more, um, you could say realistic if you were trying to be kind to them, but you could say cynical. Naturalistic? Naturalistic maybe, yeah. So one bone of contention they had with the Pharisees is that the Pharisees believed that there was really going to be a resurrection of all the dead and a judgment and an afterlife and a, all sorts. And the Sadducees were like, nah, I don't think so. You know, miracles, really? Come on, we're more, all much too sort of smart and real for that. Yeah. And powerful. So the Sadducees were the high priestly families of, of people who helped. They were like aristocrats. Mostly. And
0: they'd found their way into a sort of hegemony with the Roman occupation. Yeah, they I mean- they.
1: They, they made looked settlement. after
0: themselves very well.
1: Yes. They didn't love it. And right. for the Sadducees, the end and the question at the end was really about how are we going to get an advantageous future out of this for our people? They they did care about that. So they wanted rid of the Romans, but they were kind of thinking in much more kind of realpolitik than, than the Pharisees who were looking for a decisive intervention by God like what happened with moses and the exodus or like what happened with elijah and the fire from heaven that's what the pharisees were expecting so within judaism since then you've got these two strands of like people who are a bit more rational and naturalistic and they're trying to sort of you know keep the keep the pages safe you know it says what it says this is our heritage and our beliefs and stuff but
0: really
1: we're probably not kind of expecting too much. You know, maybe it has to do with changes in the mind or changes in the heart or changes right. in the way we treat each other, stuff like that. Whereas the cosmic, yes, God is going to show up in history and do such and such. That is another kind of branch within Judaism and, right. and each branch has its own branches. Of course.
0: So you mentioned the Exodus. And mm. I mean, the Exodus was probably, in the Old Testament, the most defining moment of israel's history wasn't it where yeah. they they went into egypt as a collection of families yeah, with some patriarchs mm-hmm. and some herds and so on and they lived there for 400 years or so, so. um the, the last big chunk of that time they spent there as slaves mm-hmm. and they really did face an existential threat they yeah. were slaves they were Forced in the end to make bricks without straw. Yeah, their babies were being killed yeah. because they were seen as being it too It was dangerous. genocidal and Horrendous. Uh, really brutal. And, and they so, cried out to God, <clears> didn't they? And they were like, God they, "They did, yes." Yeah, so they had like that kind of sense of, "Surely not this. There has to be more." And then into that context of suffering and threat comes a prophet yep. or a, a messianic deliverer. Yes, he that's was. Right. Chosen by God, Mm -hmm. um, anointed by God for the purpose by the Holy Spirit, and he delivered them into a land of promise, didn't he? Yes. So, in a sense, the the story of the Exodus Mm. is like a motif or a template of an eschatology it was the end of history as they knew it it was the beginning yeah. of a, a, a promise and so in a sense the exodus is like a picture in itself of an eschatological hope isn't it that is yes. and and it makes sense that all later ones that
1: that people um, have delivered would appeal to that right. right so you know come out of her you know, mm-hmm. come out of Jerusalem, come out of Babylon, come out of yeah. wherever you find yourself, come out. It's like Exodus, you know, yeah. we're doing it again. We're following the prophet. We're, we, we're kind of um, answering the call. You know, there's a, a voice in the wilderness crying and it's, it's like it appeals to that sense yeah. of, I know this. Yeah, because it was bad. And then God brought the decisive action, the day of departure. And then we all left and... There's some bumps in the road, but we end up in the promised land. And hmm. it's it's quite a natural feeling of story, isn't it? And yeah, yeah. Because of the magnitude of, of Exodus for the people of Israel, as you say, you know, it will always have that character in it. And it's the great story of how people were saved from disaster by a loving God and nurturing Father who delivered them as such. So and
0: it's interesting as well that they keep, they keep alive to this day the memory of that through a meal which is very similar to one that the christians um do which was bread a lamb Mm -hmm. and some wine and some bitter herbs and stuff called the passover and in so in a sense by reliving that moment every year they Mm. keep that memory really alive and really active don't they and it's almost like the sense of god's going to do it again he's done it once he'll do it again yeah he can
1: he can deliver us
0: yeah so talk just talk a little bit pete about the messianic hope because we understand this idea of the messiah we know that it's a massive deal in in um jewish history and also obviously christian Theology. Mm -hmm. Just talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, so the Old Testament prophets variously refer to a servant of the Lord who will come and bring restoration. So you can read about it in the later chapters of Isaiah 51, 61, 53, those chapters where it talks about this servant who will appear and bring people back to god hmm. there's also some slightly um more mysterious ones like i think particularly of daniel chapter 7 right where there's this scene in heaven where the ancient of days has taken his seat in heaven and there's other kind of personalities gathered there and one appears like a son of man hmm. and God basically says, "Who is going to establish my eternal kingdom on the earth?" Because the the kingdom of Israel, as it was, had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar before. So Daniel's in the exile time, and everyone's wondering, you know, is there going to be a kingdom again? Is there going to be an Israel again? Is there ever going to be a nation? And the the one who appears like a son of man says, "I'm going to do it." Wow. And um, Daniel later has this picture of, of a rock that's cut not by human hands, but which is thrown down lands on earth and yes. then grows to fill the Incredible entire picture. Earth. And so yeah. this this mysterious picture of a um, of a messiah who can come and number one, restore all things to get like they should be. But number two, go beyond what things always were and bring us into a new future, a new place of, of deliverance from evil and, and salvation and things like that. Right. So some of those prophecies name a Messiah as a descendant of David. And right. some of them talk about a very, very human figure who will come. And some of them are much more like Daniel chapter seven, where you've got a, a very sort of uh, grand figure who, who would be a stretch to call them human, perhaps. Mm. So, as Christians, we one of the important beliefs we have about Jesus is he is the Son of Man, the one who appears in heaven and does that mission of establishing God's kingdom on the earth. Sure. Why? Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Can I interrupt?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think um, the seemingly well qualified Jesus Mm -hmm. doesn't kind of match up from a Jewish mindset, and, and somehow he's a disappointment or? He isn't the guy, and they crucify him in
1: first first century. um, The first century world he was in, some believed he was the Messiah, and some most didn't. You know, Jewishness as a whole in Palestine, especially rejected Jesus in the first century, Mm -hmm. and they went with the war instead. So they fought a war from sixty six to seventy A. D. to try and secede from the Roman Empire, and they failed, and the nation was destroyed. But so. The real reason I think that that was, was because Jesus didn't directly enough fulfill the criteria. And I don't mean to say that Jesus fails to qualify as the biblical Messiah, but Christians agree that the cosmic finality of things is still to come. So Jesus lived, grew up, preached, did miracles... Um, was crucified, raised from the dead, ascended on high without having, you know, really, truly upended the world. Mm-hmm. You know, and we recognize because of the prophecies and stuff that that is still to come. And that's why yeah. we believe in a second coming, a yeah. return of Jesus. But for the Jewish people of the first century, I think it was just a sense that like, well, if you're the Messiah, do a miracle. If you're a Messiah, come down from the cross. If you're the Messiah... Get rid of the Romans. Mm-hmm. If you're the Messiah, you know, change the world then. Yeah. And in the end, what he he, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him, as the scripture tells us. Mm-hmm. So I think that really the disagreement is about what will actually happen as history and what will happen in a kind of cosmic, spiritual sense.
0: Well, they, they certainly, the, the prophets gave room for the belief that the Messiah will relieve Israel from all the oppression from their enemies and usher in a golden age of Israel's identity in the earth and somehow being a centrality to, you know, it will be the mountain of the Lord will be raised up above all the other mountains and the nations will stream to it in the Mm. sense of like Jerusalem becoming central to the whole world but there's a the the prophecy that's often read out at christmas interestingly from isaiah chapter nine he says of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end Mm -hmm. and on the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore Mm -hmm. the zeal of the lord will do this i'm guessing you could read that very much and think well I don't see this Messiah doing that very much. Yeah, you could say the
1: the faithful look very fractured. And, and, you know, Mm. we've got lots of groups of Christians, lots of groups of Jewish people, lots of kind of disagreements about what it means. And if you have to disagree about what it means, then maybe it's not happened
0: after all. But at the time of Jesus on the earth, maybe they would look at something like this and see that as being like, well, he hasn't done that.
1: Yeah, we're still here. There's yeah. still Romans, yeah. soldiers everywhere, and yeah. uh, we're expecting something a little more real. Yeah. And this is really what it comes down to, because over history, within the Jewish religion, at least as far as I've studied, you you have this um, this kind of um, these horrific tragedies and unfair treatments. You know, mm. they're they're the subject to so much hostility at different yeah. times in the world, yeah. and then periodically some real positions of favour and advantage where um, almost because of their ethnic and, and religious faith, they're sort of kept outside of the way things are and they end up sort of rising above it. And typically then they get somebody be incredibly jealous of them and want all their stuff and persecute them horrendously again. And Yeah. The, the question is, what am I to expect? Am I to expect a real moment of salvation from this horrendous circumstance or am i to interpret it mainly symbolically and just think a little bit more really about what i'm going to do and i think in jesus's time the, the the jesus is the one who's come saying i'm the humble king i am the invisible messiah you know i'm i'm not here to lord it over the nations i'm here to be a servant of all the nations and to lay my life down and to die and take my life up again to take you to eternal life right and that just wasn't big enough and bang enough for the jewish people of, of the mainstream um, judaism of his time and in other points in history people have come saying it's coming you know the great messiah will appear and you set know, everything straight but then that hasn't happened and, and they've had to sort of work with it other times they will have said, you know, oh messiahs and heaven and stuff like that. It's all a bit old fashioned, isn't it? Let's just lower our expectations and then surprise, you know, a great moment of deliverance has deliverance has happened. So
0: Yeah. I mean there there have been some, haven't there? Yeah. In recent years well, in in recent relatively recent history mm-hmm. since the Second World War. Yeah. It, Israel becoming a nation mm-hmm. and Six Day War, and all the neighboring countries
1: attacking it at once, and then them ma- managing to not only defeat them, yeah. but substantially so. And, and, and it's
0: really re- established themselves in as a major modern politics. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I,
1: I suppose does your eschatology survive the passing of history? I mean, that is a question. Well, that's a really good question. Because sometimes we take the beliefs that we have and we pin them to times and places. And we say, there's a line in the sand I'm pretty sure of. You know, I'm sure the Messiah will appear in my lifetime. I'm sure I will live to see this or that. I'm sure that this now means X or Y. Mm. And that is always a risk. It's, it's, it's sometimes perfectly reasonable to do, and some people have been right about stuff like that, but sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, And there was definitely, you know, after the Holocaust, Gosh. I mean, the Shoah, the, the ovens, and, and Hitler's horrendous Absolutely. perpetrations, you, there, there was a sort of make-or-break moment where it was like, we cannot, you know, the international community, British and Americans, Israelis, Jewish people everywhere... So if we can't have this, there has to be a homeland, you know, a place of safety for Mm -hmm. Jewish people. We have to be serious about giving people the means to defend themselves against this colossal injustice of of almost cosmic proportions. And at the same time, nurturing that sense of like, well, is God going to do anything or are we going to have to do this all ourselves? And within Jewish thinking, those
0: two sort of strands of I'm thinking I'm sure they're still very present now as very well. Very much. Yeah. So
1: in the 1960s, when the Six-Day War was happening, some people were saying, this is it. This is Gog yeah. and Magog, the nations of Egypt and, you know, Arabia and everyone, you know, all attacking us. And we've overcome by the power of the Lord and mm-hmm. by the power of the tanks and jet aircraft that we have at our disposal. Wow and other people were like no nah, let's be real let's be realists about this let's let's see what it is you know this is about military budgets this yeah. is about international financing this is about x and y and i think that we live in a time where a lot of people were thinking that now that there is a um, national israel reestablished that that means the end is inaugurated and there are definitely people who who think yeah. that there will have to be some people who are who were alive in 1947
0: who will live to see the end Mm -hmm. i've met people who believe that and it's interesting that we i think we said in the jihad the one where we talked about jihad that the the muslim um eschatology also links its time clock to to that jerusalem um sorry to israel becoming a nation and uh It's really interesting that we've got this tiny little part of the world yet influencing global politics. Yeah, billions and billions of people. Talk a little bit about Gog and Magog, because this was most definitely seen as an existential threat Mm -hmm. that pre- that comes prior to the Messiah's arrival on the scene. Is that right?
1: Yes. So the first person to mention, well, actually, they're they're listed as as nations in the original table of nations in Genesis. Mm. So it's like a very ancient word for the nations around the 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 world the region that kind of thing and
0: do they take on a kind of archetypal significance rather than an actual definite geographic location you
1: could say they um they typify the sense in which israel followed the lord and all the other nations together rejected him Hmm. and gog and magog um embodied that hostility that desire to take them over And so sometimes the the names Gog and Magog are thrown together to describe the nations of the north that attack Israel. And so in ancient times, that was more about people like Assyria and Babylon and Persia. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, well, I mean, later on, it came to mean something more like Greece or Rome. Later on, it came to mean someone else. And, And nowadays, people would think of it perhaps in terms of those countries that have said, explicitly I want to destroy yeah. Israel like some of the Islamic countries mm. like Iran and Syria and others and it, 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 there is a sort of um, way in which you could say gog and Magog is any kind of geopolitical entity that wants to destroy Israel right so Ezekiel is who has the prophecy after the exile has happened and Israel has been essentially all but destroyed. And he, he has this prophecy of Gog and Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, mm-hmm. who kind of gathers together an army no one could even count from all the nations of the world to try and destroy God's people and utterly, hilariously fails. You know, is mm-hmm. destroyed by you know, the breath of God, the power of God, the lightning, and, and you know, utterly wiped away even without a shot being fired in that mm-hmm. sense. And so this prophecy towards the end of Ezekiel is sort of the last thing Ezekiel says before he starts showing you the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, the future Jerusalem, the restored, whole, international, kind of redeemed and, and perfect Jerusalem. And that's one prophecy. It's then picked up by John in Revelation, so four, five hundred years later, John has a vision of the heavenly Jerusalem, and he uses the the words Gog and Magog to describe an event he sees where the nations of the world kind of arraign themselves in a big attack against Israel, and um, they are overcome by the same thing, by God's power. Mm -hmm. And then the heavenly Jerusalem is inaugurated and, and that thing. So that, in the text of the Bible, appears to be a sort of certain historical point for some people to say, On the day when Israel is attacked by all the other countries and then they win, we will know, won't we, Mm. that the end is nigh and it's all about to happen and it's all about to change. Mm. And the question of, is this that or is this just a foretaste of it and the real main event is to come? That's what the difficult question is when you're trying to understand eschatology, because... You could say, oh, I'm living in the time of the end. You know, I've seen all the nations attack Israel in my lifetime. You know, it's we're surely at the end of days now. But it's like, well, was that that? Or was that sort of only a shadow of the
0: reality that's to come? Wow. So we, I think we probably said... Already, but there, there are many, many, many strands mm. in Judaism yeah. of eschatology. It would be unfair to try and say, this is what Jews believe. Yeah, it would. It would be unfair. And it would probably result in people being very angry. Very upset. <laughs> That's fair. Uh,
1: although, it, if I could try and be charitable with it, yeah. I think that I could describe it in a few quite simple ways mm-hmm. to sort of show you how, how they divide on this thing. Um, Within modern Judaism, you could say that you've got a kind of group of Orthodox Judaism Mm -hmm. and conservative Judaism. And the conservative Judaism in this case would be the pragmatists, you know, the people who are
0: like, all right,
1: let's calm our jets about heaven and, and, you know, the end of the world and stuff like that. And let's just deal with with what we've really. So they'd got in be front
0: more in the tradition of the Sadducees. Yes, I think that's fair. Some, Rabbinic
1: Judaism yeah. is is their thing. Very practical. Yep, and very very wise and very faithful and mm-hmm. observant and you know perfectly. Um, you know they're they're called conservatives because they don't want much to change. They're not right. interested really in big upheavals of everything, and. Within Judaism, you've got this interesting group called the Liberal Conservatives, and, and <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like uh, an yeah. what, like oxymoron. oxymoron. Yeah. But within Judaism, that would be the people who are sort of nominative Jewi- Jews rather than particularly very observant prayers mm-hmm. and things like that. Sure. So that's the conservative group within Israel and within global Jewish people. Hmm. i probably go as far as to say that was the most common expression of jewish religious identity in the world at the moment the other group that there are the the main group that is would be the the ones that identify as orthodox right and they would be the people that are much more likely to expect big cosmic interventions by god right you know they're waiting for the restoration of the temple and the kingdom and the messiah and things in a very real way you know and, and the Orthodox Jewish people would be um, the sort of main power behind the Zionist movement of actually getting Israel recreated as a country in the nineteen forties, in in the first place. You know, they are the people who were like reanimating the nation of Israel as an example of the biblical promise. I am expecting to happen in history. You know, I, I want to be able to yeah. see it with my actual eyes. Yeah. Whereas the conservative Jewish people would be more typical of the people who have stayed, you know, in other nations than right. Israel. You know, they're yeah. pragmatists; they're really yeah. used to living and working in all sorts of places. And
0: some truly brilliant scientists and yeah. artists and whatnot within all, and of course, great thinkers and
1: yeah. And and I don't think it's unfair to say that it's that's part of their eschatology. It's part of their belief about the end that if we devote ourselves to excel. We will build a better world
0: right that's that's, that's not unfair to say yeah you know? yeah and
1: and you know you can find that kind of belief also within indian communities and chinese communities yeah. and and i think it's fair to say the western world and our education systems are being a little bit rocked by jewish kids as well as others who are raised in households where it's a really strong and devoted belief that we are here to excel mm-hmm. to do our best to to rise above and to kind of influence how this yeah. thing works out. And, you know, <laughs> maybe some people kind of give in to the temptation to make conspiracy theories out of it. Hitler certainly did. yeah. But um, it, it's, it can't be denied, really, that that culture exists and that's part of their belief about what's going to happen in the end. Whereas the ultra-Orthodox would be much more likely to be expecting to see blood and fire and billows of smoke in reality.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um so when i've looked at some of these things i've I've found i've sort of unearthed in my little attempts to study here and uh, found some really interesting um ideas about the days of the messiah which Mm. are really interesting because they have like almost a flavor of heaven or the new heavens and the new earth or even what some christians may imagine to be coming in the millennium, which we'll talk about in another episode. Mm -hmm. But they talk about Israel no longer being subject to any other nation, a time of unprecedented peace. Mm -hmm. Um, Both earth and man will be blessed with wondrous fertility and vigor. That's from the book of Enoch. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you know the Sibyllian, how do you say that? Sibylline. Yeah. um, Writings. They... They talk about living till they've had a thousand children. Mm. These are sort of mystical writings. Um and then the earth will produce new fruits daily. Women will bear children daily. I'm sure <laughs> they'll get tired of that. <laughs> and well, the, land, maybe the end of the curse. It yeah, maybe. Fine. It's easy. Yeah. And yeah. um, mm-hmm. the land will yield loaves of bread and garments of silk. Mm. Um, and these are all kind of have references with the um Old Testament scriptures, but also some of the other um, writings that they look to um, in the um, Apocrypha and others like that. The days of the youth of the earth will be renewed. People will again reach the age of a thousand years. (coughs) The The birth of children will be free from pain. That's why they can do it every day. Sure. And there will be no longer strife and illness, plague or trouble, but peace and health and joy. And so Mm. on and so on, and all these, and but then a spiritual regeneration will also take place, and Israel's sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, we know that from Joel. Um, but they they also talk about prior to all of that, this moral decline. So, we've talked, haven't we, about the existential threat? I mean, Israel has faced existential threat many, many times, sure, but then they talk about a period of moral decline. Followed by the days of the Messiah, you know, when, and um, then they also have an expectation, it seems, of a new Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. I will build your battlements with rubies, your gates with sparkling jewels, your walls of precious stones, Isaiah 54. The idea that there will be a new temple.
1: Yes, yeah, a new temple in Jerusalem to undo that historic injustice for the Jewish people, yeah.
0: And ultimately, I guess, a regeneration of the world. Yeah. And, and you can see within that summary,
1: can't you, that this mystical text that emerged... I mean, what's that, medieval? Um, or slightly more ancient than that?
0: What was that, the Sibylline... Chronicles or whatever it is. I I wish I'd I'd done a little bit more (laughs) thoroughly I'd be able to tell you. The
1: the point is that this idea emerges which kind of locks into a long standing tradition of such speech. And you can see, can't you, how these two interpretations emerge, can't you? One says, Ah yes, you know, that'll be all for when we die. You know, that would mm-hmm. be a disembodied, ethereal, heavenly reality somewhere else. And others who are ready to actually see this take place here on the yeah, earth. real time. And I want, I'm expecting to live this, you know, yeah. I want to see a restoration and a forgiveness and a, you know, freedom and a prosperity that affect my actual life right here. And so I'm on board with all of that. And you can see how those two parts kind of increasingly separate the longer they go on. And, mm-hmm. I think that that is so interesting because it none of neither of neither thing says the text is rubbish, but both yeah. groups barely resemble each other by the time they've actually so started taking action. Yeah, and I think as a Christian, you know, I've seen this take place not just within Christianity as a whole, but within our own church, you know, within our own neighbourhood, you, you'll find people who are you know, building bunkers and expecting to survive the meteorites and the earthquakes and the things that, you know, shake the earth in history. And then you'll have other Christians who are sort of joining social action groups because they're expecting to build a better world using political ecology and things like that. So both look totally different, but they're both doing it for the same reason. And my question is, you know, can we get beyond that whole idea of, of just sort of, interpreting it however we feel best and taking action is there a unifying thing we can kind of gather together those different strands mm. and, and have a single eschatology that's actually strong enough to hold up to the need of people to be a real about what's going on right now yeah and be serious about what the kind of literal book says yeah it's like if i hold the scripture to be divinely wow. inspired and god then. It can't just be fanciful. No. Cutter, can it? It's got to be something a little more hard-edged than that. Well,
0: that sounds like an incredible um, hope, Pete, to see that come, come together. And I pray that God will bring that kind of clarity into our hearts and minds in, in our lifetime. Mm. Let's see it in real time. Yeah. Yeah. Really. Wow. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Everybody. And God bless you, everyone. And, please do share and like and pass it on and let's get some good listener numbers up and see how we get on. Have an amazing day, everyone. God bless you. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.